We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 593 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. And we now know when 2023 Commander's Training Camp will begin. Uh, Thursday, July 27th. Uh, The team on Monday afternoon announced details for uh, 2023 Training Camp, which will take place at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia, what is officially known as Ortho Virginia Training Center at Commander's Park. Uh, Camp will take place July 27th through August 19th and will include 12 practices open to fans. Tickets are free. Uh, Each open practice, a 9 a.m. practice. Although, as the team notes on its website, practice times are subject to change without notice. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. The time at which each episode of this podcast comes out is never endowed early. (laughs) Just know that early. Uh, This is a show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. Uh, Each episode usually comes out in uh, what we call the overnight hours, the hours well before the sun rises, the hours during which most people are either sleeping or engaged in deviant acts. (laughs) But don't worry, we don't judge. Uh, By the way, the team at its facility is adding bleachers to hold 2,000 fans for these open training camp practices. A nice gesture for the fans. Or uh, as Vinny Serrato said during his time as an executive for the Redskins, for the fans. For the fans. For the fans. Yes, Vinny, for the fans. Uh, Well, we have a new NBA champion, the Denver Nuggets. Uh, A 94-89 win over the Miami Heat on Monday night to win the NBA Finals four games to one. First NBA title for the Nuggets in their 47 seasons in the NBA. Two things of note with the Nuggets winning the NBA title for us as Washington, D.C. sports fans. A, this is yet another year in which multiple former Wizards win an NBA title. Every year now, there are a ton of former Wizards who win an NBA title. Uh, Those on the Nuggets include former Wizards Thomas Bryant, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Jeff Green, and Ish Smith, and the Nuggets general manager is former Wizards player Calvin Booth. B, the Nuggets owner is Stan Kroenke, who now has an NFL title, an NHL title, and an NBA title in each of three consecutive seasons. Kroenke owns the Los Angeles Rams, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Denver Nuggets. The Rams won the Super Bowl for the 2021 NFL season. The Avs won the Stanley Cup for the 2021-2022 NHL season. And now the Nuggets have won the NBA title for the 2022-2023 NBA season. Remember this when you hear about it being a problem uh, that our incoming commander's owner, Josh Harris, already owns two other teams in the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. Well, speaking of the sale of the commanders, next segment, a great guest, commander's insider, John Keim of ESPN, 
Uh, he's joining us for part one of a two-part conversation, and we in this part one are going to talk about the sale of the Commanders and what it means. Uh, we're going to talk about the offseason that the Commanders have had and whether it has truly been impacted by the sale. We're going to talk about Eric Bieniemy as the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator and whether he is, in fact, uh, just what the team needed. Uh, we're going to talk about the team's revamped offensive line and more. John Kime, he's great, and he's coming up next segment. And then after Kime, another terrific guest for you, Scott Jackson. Uh, my former colleague at the Team 980, a man who knows the Wizards extremely well. We are going to go in-depth on the Wizards' new front office, uh, why we have it, and what should be next. Uh, is a rebuild coming? Should a rebuild be coming? Uh, also, we're going to discuss why the Wizards have done so poorly in NBA drafts. Why can't our team draft well? Uh, that needs to change. Uh, before we get to some feedback, a salute to a guy who has been a big supporter of this podcast and who is a good man, Matt Swope, the new head baseball coach at the University of Maryland. Uh, the Terrapins' previous head coach, Rob Vaughn, has left to become the head baseball coach at the University of Alabama. And so Matt Swope now is in charge of Maryland baseball. I called Matt's games as a Maryland baseball player when I was at Maryland working for the student radio station, the mighty WMUC. Uh, Matt went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. He is a big Commanders fan, and uh, I'm very much rooting for him to kill it as Maryland baseball head coach. Uh, Rob Vaughn leaving Hurts, okay, but uh, Matt Swope is going to keep a good thing going. Maryland, over the last two seasons, has won a total of 90 games, has won the Big Ten regular season title in each season, and has made the NCAA regionals in each season. Also, the Terps this season won the Big Ten tournament. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Steve F. Uh, for our conversations in recent weeks about the commander's top two edge defenders, Montez Sweat and Chase Young, right, Steve? Hey, Galdi, regarding Young and Sweat, I think that more praise should be given to Ryan Kerrigan, who had 10 sacks in multiple years without a Duran Payne or a Jonathan Allen manning the middle. So many times Kerrigan was held with an offensive lineman's arm around Kerrigan's throat. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Steve. Yeah. Uh, with the caveat that sacks are not everything for an edge guy, I do now have a greater appreciation for Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, I mean, think about this. Montez Sweat and Chase Young over their seven combined NFL seasons have totaled zero double-digit sack regular seasons. Ryan Kerrigan, over his 10 seasons with Washington, 2011 through 2020, totaled four double-digit sack regular seasons, and that doesn't include him having nine and a half sacks in the 2015 regular season. Uh, Kerrigan is number one in team history in regular season sacks, 95 and a half. Montez Sweat and Chase Young over their seven combined NFL seasons have totaled 38 sacks. Uh, again, you can't just go by sacks when evaluating edge guys, but it's hard to ignore those sack numbers for Ryan Kerrigan versus the sack numbers for Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And so it is nice that uh, Kerrigan is the commander's assistant defensive line coach. Uh, email from Craig Sandin of Manassas, Virginia on the Steven Strasburg situation. Uh, yes, national starting pitcher Steven Strasburg, uh, Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post on June 3rd came out with that report stating that Strasburg, for three people familiar with the situation, has been completely shut down from physical activity again and is dealing with, quote, severe nerve damage, end quote. Uh, Doherty in the report also said that the Nats, according to four people within the organization, do not have any disability insurance on Strasburg's seven-year, $245 million contract. Writes Craig, longtime listener here, from the 5 a.m. phone party days, <laughs> uh, Barry's Verluga hit a home run in his recent column in the Post on how we should feel about Steven Strasburg. And Barry brought up an angle that was not known that I know of, he mentioned how the contract was basically done between Ted Lerner and Scott Boris in the Lerner Palm Springs home that winter. People have to understand that it was the opt-out clause in the original contract, and that opt-out clause coinciding with Strasburg's great 2019 season that created this whole issue. Of course, he exercised 
that opt-out. But also keep in mind how the narrative in the early years was that Stephen, when he first became a free agent, would go back to Southern California. Instead, Stephen snuck off in the middle of a road trip in St. Louis to get a physical for his surprise new contract to keep him in Washington for many years. I wish him the best and hope that when the dust settles on whatever resolution there is with this contract, that we can have a Steven Strasburg Appreciation Day at the ballpark. Uh, thank you for the email, Craig. So the Steven Strasburg contracts can get confusing. There have been two big money Steven Strasburg contracts for the Nats. Uh, Strasburg in May 2016 signed a seven-year, $175 million contract extension with the Nats, despite his agent being Scott Boris, who almost always takes his clients to free agency. And (laughs) I will never forget the look on Boris's face during the press conference for that Strasburg extension. Boris looked like a guy who could not believe what his client was doing, foregoing free agency, uh, especially given that Strasburg was set to be a free agent in the upcoming offseason, in the 2016-2017 offseason. So Strasburg in May 2016 signed the 70-year, $175 million contract extension with the Nats. Uh, That extension had an opt-out clause, and yes, he exercised that opt-out clause in the 2019-2020 offseason off his very good 2019 regular season and off winning 2019 World Series MVP. And the Nats in December 2019 re-signed Strasburg to the seven-year $245 million contract. Uh, Hindsight being what it is, the Nats so should have let Strasburg walk in that 2019-2020 offseason. Giving a seven-year $245 million contract to a pitcher, A, already in his 30s, and B, with the substantial injury history that Strasburg had, was debatable at the time and, of course, now looks insane. But in fairness to the learners, the contract didn't have to work out this poorly, you know? I mean, was he ever going to be great for another 70 years? Almost certainly not. But did he have to completely fall off a cliff upon signing that contract? No. Uh, This really has been a worst-case nightmare scenario. Strasburg has made eight major league regular season starts since signing that 70-year, $245 million contract in December 2019. I mean, think about that. Eight major league regular season starts since signing that contract. But, you know, these major league teams cannot help themselves. I mean, look at the Jacob deGrom situation with the Texas Rangers. The Rangers this past December signed free agent starting pitcher Jacob deGrom to a five-year, $185 million contract, despite this season being his age 35 season and despite his substantial injury history. And what has happened? Uh, We last Tuesday, June 6th, learned that Jacob deGrom needs Tommy John surgery. Total disaster. Pitchers break. Paying big money for pitching is always risky. Paying big money for an older pitcher with a significant injury history is lunacy. (laughs) You know, you're asking for trouble. Well, ain't nobody asking for what's going on in the home and auto insurance markets right now. Uh, The home and auto insurance markets are messes right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance. That's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, BMC Insurance, it offers home, auto, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. Uh, BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor 
for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, a big help is if you subscribe to rate and review this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, A subscription to the pod costs you nothing. And make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review could be just a sentence or two. Can be more, but doesn't have to be. And thank you very much for subscribing rating and reviewing. So the day for which this episode of the podcast is being put out, Tuesday, June 13th, was supposed to be the day on which the commanders held their seventh and final OTA practice of the offseason. But it turns out that there is no practice. Uh, The team on Monday morning told reporters that instead of an OTA practice on Tuesday, the team is holding a light workout and positional meetings on Tuesday. Uh, The reason being that the coaching staff believes that the offseason program went well and doesn't want to risk injury. And so the commander's 2023 offseason program is ending. Uh, Once Tuesday is done, The team has about a month and a half break until the start of 2023 training camp. But of course, just because the commander's offseason program is ending doesn't mean that the team's offseason is ending, especially with the oh-so-monumental occurrence of the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group expected to be finalized in the coming weeks. Uh, I am very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Uh, He is the dean of insiders for the team. Uh, John has covered the team since 1994. Uh, He has a podcast, The John Kime Report. Uh, You can follow John on Twitter at John underscore Kime, which is spelled K-E-I-M. And John is joining us for part one of a two-part conversation. Uh, We in part two are going to go in-depth on quarterback Sam Howell, but we right now in this part one are going to discuss a number of uh, non- Sam Howell items. John, it's great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing all right, Al. Good to talk to you. So as has often been the case with this team, uh, we are in kind of a strange time. Uh, We're entering into the annual break of about six weeks until training camp. Usually that's a very quiet time of year for the team. And yet it is uh, during these six weeks that we may well have uh, the biggest story with the team in years, the finalizing of the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group. Uh, You know as well as anyone how crazy things have been with this team for years. Do you think that new ownership ultimately is going to bring a calm, a normalcy to covering the team and to being a fan of the team? No, well, I think the calmness might take a while just because there are so many things to sort through. And by by call the, the crazy stuff, and it's not even crazy, it's normal stuff, right? When there's an ownership transition, regardless what you think of the departing owner, there's going to be a transition for the franchise. The decisions to be made on, you know, who's running the presidency, the, a bunch of other executive positions on the football staff, etc. So that's where some of the, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, craziness would still come into play. But once you're through the transition period, then I think it will be more normal because with the Harris group, they have a track record of how they run things with the devils, with the Sixers, that it's, they're not chaotic organizations. And I don't think, I think it'd be very hard to duplicate 
what we have just witnessed over the last, not just over the last five years, but the two decades and, you know, going, going back, but the last five years in particular, I think it'd be very, very hard to duplicate. So anything's going to feel normal compared to that era. So I do think that it will get to a point where it's a little bit, it's a lot more, a lot more sane. You're one of the few people who were covering the team the last time that the team got sold. Uh, May 25th, 1999 uh, was when Dan Snyder buying the Redskins was finalized. So that purchase of the team, like this Josh Harris purchase of the team, a uh, late offseason purchase, is there anything that we can take from the 1999 ownership transition and apply to right now? Or was 1999 so long ago, and are Dan Snyder and Josh Harris so different to where there isn't much to be learned from the ownership transition of 24 years ago? Well, I think it's all about, Al, in that situation, it really is about the individual taking over. And what is their, what are their business traits or um, leadership traits or whatever? How do they, what is their philosophy and how to put things together? I don't think Dan Snyder ever had one. I think it was, I'm going to come here and win. I'm the bold, aggressive young man. So I don't think, you know, so from that standpoint, um, I think it's, you know, what you learn is that's not the way to handle it. And I, you know, somebody asked me on a a show recently, like, where did it go wrong for Snyder? So at the beginning, because you set the tone then, how is your ownership going to be? He came in and said he wasn't going to fire anybody. And then within a few weeks, he fired a lot of staffers. That's your prerogative change when there's change there's transition but you when you're saying one thing doing another and then um you know just the pursuit of certain guys and the, the rumors about always going after if you know barry sanders you don't retire let's go get him like it was just like it was just it was too much like a a fan operating a fantasy team and you can't be that guy and so i think like so the lessons you can learn from that is Come in and be more patient and assess the situation a lot better to get an accurate barometer for where things are at, what you want to do with this particular franchise in this market, what's working, what isn't, etc. So now in some cases with Snyder, like there was some, you know, the he, he basically got rid of Charlie Castley because he didn't feel like Norv and Charlie could get along. And there was definite friction there. But, you know, he did admit later he got rid of the wrong guy. But at that time, it's hard to get rid of the coach because you're coming in the summertime. So, you know, you, but I think don't make rash decisions uh, just based on emotion. And I think he came in every bit more like a fan than he did as, a, as an owner. I think that's one of the lessons learned. I think the Harris group, while Harris grew up here and presumably was a fan of the franchise, I think he's going to come in more as an owner versus a young fan. Yeah, given the reputation that Josh Harris has, given how deep into this offseason we are, it feels like the rest of this year will be an evaluation period with maybe some transition, but that the real true stamp of the Josh Harris group won't come until the 2024 offseason. Is that how you're seeing things? Absolutely. and, and my, that, Yes, absolutely. And that's why I say that's where any sort of... Um, not even again chaos but like instability will come from the fact that it's a new owner and you're not sure so you know what if this team goes out and does well well there's going to be more stability because like that's what you want to see and it's like it's year four of a program and they went out and did well and you have this young quarterback if you go if you're kind of mediocre what do you do right and if you're not then it's an easy call so i think you know, but there are some gray areas in there where it could be like, well, what do you do? You know, um, but that's where some of the instant, you know, instability might come or decisions to come. But I do think like part of the part of your ownership traits will be decided throughout this process, because how do you handle this? How are you assessing this? What things are you looking at? And then who do you surround yourself with? And I go back to Snyder and, the, you know, he would. There were definitely good people he brought in. I mean, Marty Schottenheimer was a good coach. You know, Joe Gibbs, obviously, right? But then he surrounded himself with other people who were not good. They were not, you know, and he listened to the wrong people. So I think it's, you know, if you can get a sense of who is Harris listening to, who's making the decisions, how are you assessing it, then you get a, a sense of that. And then after all that, Al, let's say they do move on or whatever. Um, well, it doesn't matter, really. It's whatever. what is your decision on the coaching staff? And how did you reach that decision, whether move on or keep? And I think that'll give us a sense of 
of, of what kind of an owner he's probably going to be. We're talking with Commanders Insider John Keim of ESPN. So looking at what the Commanders have done this offseason from a football standpoint, are there things this offseason that uh, the head coach and the coach-centric approach, Ron Rivera, uh, has wanted to do but hasn't done due to the sale of the team? Or do you think that the offseason from a football standpoint, for the most part, has been what the offseason would have been had the team not been for sale? I, I think in terms of like what they did in free agency and all that, yeah, I think it's probably would have been the same because they didn't have all the cap room to go out and make certain moves. And they could have gone out and gotten a, made a big splash on the offensive line. Go sign one tackle. The problem with that then is you're not you have no ability to get guys at other positions. So there so like the only reason I bring it up, like you can people can agree or disagree with it, but my point in saying that is they could have done that. It's just that they chose to go this route and spread the money out to fill multiple positions. So instead of like getting Orlando Brown, they go out getting Nick Gates and Andrew Wiley and Cody Barton and you sign, we signed Deron Payne. So like they chose to allocate the money differently, but they could have gone out and signed one guy, but that would have been it, but they could have done that, you know, and they did sign to resign Deron Payne. I think where you get, where you put it on pause now is the talk of an extension for Montez Sweat or a Cam Curl, um, guys like that, that you really can't get in. You really can't finalize that now because we are so far down this road. But otherwise, I, I think it was, you know, what you kept hearing is business as usual. So now it may be we find out later, Al, that there were some things that they couldn't do because this is, as you know, every time things like this happen, you find out stuff three, four, five months later. It's like, oh, okay, well, we really wanted to do this and we couldn't do this because of this. That's still, I'll always leave that door open because it happens all the time. But even throughout this, everything you would hear is business as usual, and they were able to go out and sign guys and spend money. It's just not at, you know, it wasn't like this dominant guy that everybody wanted. They spread it out more. As you know, when things go wrong, we inevitably hear some version of, yeah, we really wanted to do that thing that worked out elsewhere, or we didn't really want to do this thing that didn't work out here. We know how that goes. I yeah. wanted to draft this guy, but so and so talking into that guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and like that's why there's sometimes now with all that stuff. Like, kind of go back to what I knew at the time and what they were saying at the time. And we heard this with Robert. We heard this with all these guys. Like, at the time, nobody was saying this. So, you know, how much of that was real versus how much is that? Maybe you kind of felt like that, but like you know. But yes, I think there's always something we learn later on that may have tripped something up. You certainly could argue that the most significant football development for the Commanders this offseason has been the hiring of Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. A lot has been made of his emphasis on attention to detail and his demanding nature and the yelling. Uh, obviously, we'll see starting in September if his offense is any good, but it sure seems like his style is exactly what this offense needed. I know that that's an easy thing to say now, but is the style of Eric Bieniemy what this team needed? Oh, a thousand percent. So it's an easy thing to say because it was it was easily to see that it's it was necessary. And when he's <laughs> out there, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't feel like you'd hear things last year with the offense, like there's, you know, X, Y, and Z, and like they need to do better here and all that. But you wouldn't necessarily... On the practice field, when we're watching, and they don't, you don't want it to be performative. You don't want someone to do something just because, well, the media is out here, so I'm going to get tough. You've got to be true to who you are. But, you know, you really didn't feel like there was a demanding tone to, I mean, when even when Kyle was here, Shanahan, you could, you would definitely know when he wanted you to do something and do it a certain way. And you can, you can get like that, right? And, but I never really felt like that you know, that there was that the last couple of years. And it wasn't, it's not just one guy. I think it's, it's multiple. Um, and there were some, like, there were some who definitely were. So definitely, you know, tight ends coach, um, Pete Hayner, definitely like that. Um, Matt Scott was a little bit more like that as well, but overall you didn't really feel it. And I think you needed it. I think this team needs a guy like that um, to, to be part of it, to be the guy who's going to be ultra demanding 
and um, especially on that side of the ball. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to how does Sam Howell develop, right? So for all the stuff we're talking about, the enemy, Howell has to develop. Some of it's going to come down to how is the offensive line? Is the offensive line better, right? But I think there's also an adherence to detail that makes a difference. And you can be more effective despite what I, you know, whatever Howell does, whatever line, you can be more effective than they have been if you just adhere to the details and, and know that if I don't adhere to that, I'm going to get my ass chewed out in the meetings. And nobody likes that. So, you know, I think so. I do think that that was definitely needed. And, you know, again, a lot to be determined as to how effective he is as a play caller. But sometimes those plays work better when you adhere to the details. And you and you also set – I think what also is going to be, Al, setting plays up maybe a little bit better. I think the screen game will be better. The play-action game I think will be set up better. So I think all those things will help. Um, and then sometimes, like, then if you get the guy to the right ball at the right time, he makes a play, and now you look good as a coordinator. But, you know, um, so I think you can be better even without with some of these questions that are, are going to hang over the team until the season starts. With the offensive line, uh, of course, such a disappointment last season. The team has done a good bit with the offensive line this offseason. The question would be, has enough been done? You know, time will tell on that. But when you look at the four offensive line spots set to have new starters as compared to last season, right tackle, center, and the two guard spots, do you view one of those spots as being especially better as compared to who manned that spot last season? Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, Chase Ruye was a was a good center for them, and I don't know how. Like, I've heard good things about Nick Gates. I think he'll be. I think he'll be good for them. I think he's tough. I think he's a seems like a good leader in the huddle, et cetera. But how much of an upgrade is that over a healthy Chase Ruye? I don't know. You know, over what the center position was, like, yeah, but like over, you know, so you don't know. And like, how much of a difference will Andrew Wiley make at right tackle versus what where Cosme was at? I don't know. So I think I would go to probably with Cosme at right guard over, I mean, over a Trey Turner. I mean, that's that would be the easier one. We don't know what kind of guard Cosme is going to be. He's learning the position. There is a transition. It's not as simple as, oh, you, you are okay as a tackle. You'll be a great guard. Not everybody can transition to there. But I, but I think that one has the potential to be a lot better than it was because Turner wasn't healthy and wasn't effective when he was. And so that's one where I think there's, there's a chance for a, a decent upgrade at that spot if Cosby plays the way people expect him to play. I mean, because when he came out, there were people that thought he'd be better at guard. So I think he has those traits, and that's where I'd say, like, that's probably the one. Because like, at left guard, we don't know. I mean, we don't even know who's going to be the left guard. If it's Sadiq Charles, I would think it's, you know, that he could be better than Norwell, but a significant upgrade, uh, I don't I don't know. I know because Charles has been in and out, and if he had been able to stay healthy, it had been his job two years ago. So, or or last year at the least. So, you know, um, but yeah, so I'd probably go right guard right now. Makes sense. And Sam Cosme certainly has talent. Uh, just a matter of him staying healthy. Commander's insider, John Keim of ESPN. Terrific insight. Uh, looking forward to talking Sam Howell with you in uh, part two of our conversation. Thanks a lot, John. Awesome, Al. Thanks. Enjoyed it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, next week is a big week for the Wizards. Uh, we have the Kyle Kuzma and Chris Stamps Porzingis player option decisions. Uh, each guy reportedly must decide by Wednesday, June 21st, whether to exercise a player option for next season. Uh, Kuzma's is for $13 million. Ain't no way <laughs> that uh, Kuz will be exercising that player option. Porzingis's player option is for $36 million. Uh, Also, the 2023 NBA Draft is on Thursday night, June 22nd. The Wizards in the 2023 Draft have the numbers 8, 42, and 57 overall picks. And, of course, all of this is with the Wizards having a new look front office. Michael Winger as president of Monumental Basketball, Will Dawkins as general manager, and Travis Schlenk as senior vice president of player personnel. Our Wizards owner, Monumental Sports and entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis has been making some moves. Uh, I am very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, a man with whom I have talked Wizards for years, both on and off the air, Scott Jackson, uh, my former colleague at the Team 980. Uh, He was the studio host for the Washington Wizards Radio Network from 2000 to 2006. Uh, He succeeded me as the host of the official Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders postgame show uh, on that team's radio network. Uh, He's been doing that show since the 2016 season, and you hear Scott often on the Team 980 and on 106.7 The Fan. You could follow Scott on Twitter at Jackson Sports. Hey, Scott, how are you? Uh, Always good to talk to you, Al. Uh, Always enjoy it. So as you know, uh, we're not used to optimistic, happy, cheery thoughts with our Wizards, but these hirings of Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank have been very well received. Uh, I'm a fan of these hirings. Uh, you, like me, are a Wizards fan. Uh, are you happy with the uh, new look Wizards front office? I really am. And to be honest with you, had they just hired, say, Dawkins or just hired Winger, you know what I mean? Like if they were just one offs, I think it would have been a really encouraging sign. But the fact they brought this new structure in there, uh, it seems like they they have um, guys that have all been in um, places where you've had to do some rebuilding, uh, where you've had to make some difficult decisions. They're they're all well respected. There's been no like red flag things from the people I've talked to around the NBA. Everybody seems to really like these guys and think that they do good work. And uh, and again, most importantly, as you know, for Ted Leonsis, uh, Al, this is the first time in, with both of his organizations that he's ever gone out of the building to make a hire. And what's fascinating about that is you might remember when he fired Grunfeld and eventually started looking for the full-time replacement, he hired a firm to do it for him, and they ended up finding a guy in his own office. Uh, but this time he does it by himself, and he finds people on the outside. And it, it just sounds like he's finally, it, it, you know, he said this, you know, with the Adrian Wojnarowski on the podcast that, you know, it's just, he got it. Like he owes this to the fans, um, you know, and I get it. it. It feels like it's a little late, especially on the Beal front, but better late than ever. And we'll see where this goes. It was on April 19th that uh, our Wizards announced that a guy who you know well, Tommy Shepard, had been, quote, released as president and general manager of the Washington Wizards, end quote. Uh, So Tommy ended up running Wizards basketball operations for four years. Which of the following statements is more accurate? Tommy Shepard running Wizards basketball operations did not do a good job. Or Tommy Shepard running Wizards basketball operations was not allowed to do the job 
that he wanted to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I think like they had a plan and you hear Ted he's made some vague references to a plan that got off track. I'm not exactly sure which move he's referring to. Is it the Rui Hachimori deal? Um, you know, cause he was one of the younger players. I'm not sure. Um, is it, uh, the fact that they gave Brad the max? I'm, I'm pretty, I, I say with a lot of confidence, Ted was on board with that. Now here's what we all need to know at some point in our lives. Who ordered the no trade clause and signed off because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing like you could live with a bad contract in the nba it happens all the time teams do it i mean ernie got you know arenas out of here on the lowest of lows and yeah rashard lewis wasn't great but the term rashard and emeka okafor which turned into more players down the road so you know what i'm saying it can go on and on it works they got westbrook out of here when he didn't seem to have a lot of value and got a lot in return so they've done things like that in the past you know heck jawan howard can go way back when when uh when mj was running the show so you know, you can do that, but the no trade really puts them in a tough spot because if Brad Beal wants to dig in, and it's his right to dig in, he can really make it difficult on them if he gives them a list of, let's say, you know, two teams or something like that, which are contenders in the Eastern Conference uh, who probably don't have any draft picks and don't have the things you would really like to get back in a deal. Or if he just says, no, I, I made the commitment here, I want to I stay here, it's, my family likes it here, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. So that's the tough part. But I, I would say there's a little bit of that. I think... Look, I've heard a lot of this stuff from Ted recently, but hey, I've only been doing this for 12 years. I mean, come on, man. We know we got the when he got the caps. He was the owner in waiting. There's quotes that says A. Polum was going to you know, bring him in on conversations. He was a regular at the MCI slash Verizon Center back in the day. I would see him there. I had him on half times before. He was part of the Wizards. Okay, yeah, he didn't get the final decision. It, you know, he, all that. He was more involved with the Caps. But at that point, your wheels had to be turning. Like, what am I going to do when I own this team? Is this good what they're doing? Is it not? Mainly what he did was he streamlined a lot of the business model, which is, hey, I get it, smart. Tough on the people you let go, though. And a lot of people were let go at the time. Uh, fixed up the arena. You know, there were some things that needed to be done. Obviously, eventually, the practice facility here recently, and now you're hearing rumblings from people around the league. The place is antiquated already, whatever. But at least he did those things. But, you know, I feel like, yeah, you okay, 12 years technically as the main owner of the Wizards, but you had time to formulate a plan uh, to, to do it your way. And really, this is the first time it feels like he's really, really, really putting his imprint on it. You mentioned Ted Leonsis' appearance on the Woj pod. Uh, I, on the Monday installment of this pod, uh, episode 592, uh, talked about Ted in that appearance basically saying that Tommy Shepard had no plan. And I was not at all a fan of that. I mean, to me, Ted Leonsis is the owner. Everything that ultimately happens with the Wizards is on Ted. Ted pointing the finger at Tommy, to me, reeked of the lack of self-awareness and lack of accountability that we've seen from the outgoing owner of the football team uh, of this area. And I'm not saying that Ted is as bad as Dan Snyder, but Ted blaming Tommy and not taking more responsibility to me was uh, Dan Snyder-esque. Right. And, and remember, like it was last summer when they're all saying Brad Beal could be the part of the championship, right? And these guys that we have here are, quote, big three. And everybody's snickering, you know, laughing because they know that one of the big three never plays. The other guy is a very good player who hit it right, you know, good for him, beat the system, if you will, and Brad Beal, and you you decided to pay him, and that's fine. And, yeah, I mean, he was on board with that stuff. So it's kind of hard to, to hear that now and and believe it all. And, you know, again, whatever, you know, this is – and you know what I think? You brought up the football team, and I, and I talked about this yesterday on the radio and last week and another time. I really think – the other the other thing that's going on here, whether anybody will ever admit it or not, but the like the light bulb clicking on, like, uh oh, Dan's gonna be out of here. The the town lightning rod of owners is gone. And the learners probably ought to wake up and figure out the same thing. Not that they probably care, but uh, you know, this is it. I mean, everybody else is about to be exposed because Josh Harris is gonna have a honeymoon period here, right? And then his group, whatever happens, you know, is gonna be a honeymoon period. I don't you know, I don't know if they're gonna be good, great, or whatever, or terrible, but I do know that they're going to have time to do whatever they do and people are going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're not Dan. And the rest of these guys that have been hiding behind the shadow of the incompetence of the football team, and by the way, didn't really gain any ground of the football team, especially over these last four to five years where we had this name change stuff going on and you know the scandal left and right, congressional hearings. They made no progress. And you know the Caps, yeah, you got your cup. Nats got a World Series. But since then, it's back to square one for both. Uh, so it's kind of wild when you think about where we are and more people that you, you know, you deal with this as well as fans are, are, 
are excited, sir, about the Wizards now. This was like the Wizards' one headlining moment here in the last year that was positive uh, during this whole time period. And so I think they understand. There's, they're suddenly, uh-oh, we better start getting the things in place or we're going to look really bad here if we don't move forward because people are going to turn their attention back to what it used to always be on, which is the football team. That's a great point. You also have the Wizards for the 2022-2023 NBA regular season ranking dead last out of 30 NBA teams in percent capacity for home games. And and I know that Twitter is not the be-all, end-all, but the amount of negativity toward the Wizards on Twitter really had become something. Any tweet from the Wizards' official Twitter account was met with so many comments just trashing the team. I wonder how much all of that compelled Ted Leonsis to fire Tommy Shepard and make these major hirings of Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlenk? Well, it's got to be out there somewhere, right? You got you have to, you can't be completely tone deaf to that. Now, Dan could, <laughs> and he was, right? Because he didn't even have email. Uh, but look, here's Ted, who's transparent Ted, right? He's a guy who wrote a blog and told you why he was trading Yamir Yager and breaking it down when he did, which was brilliant because, you know, look, they got Alex Ovechkin. Uh, thanks to Bush Cassidy, right? <laughs> Being such a bad coach that year. But really, was Yager was just a tank. But anyway, it, you know, these are the things, you know, he certainly hears. Um, I don't I know back in the day you could email him and he'd email you back. I don't know if he's doing that as much, you know, anymore. But there, there's no question. I mean, he had to know that, you know. And if he didn't know it, his son knew it. And, and his friends knew it. And they told him it's a big group over there. They got a lot of people involved there. They got their own sports network now, too. And they own it completely. And I'm sure they've seen the numbers, right? Like they see the numbers of, of the ratings. They're, they're hoping to get baseball obviously involved in over there someday with the Nats, which would give them year-round programming. But, I mean, you know how it is. I mean, if the teams aren't winning here, um, you know, the, the football team, I mean, the football team suffered this too. People will just tune out on you. I mean, they, they just don't care. And the difference between, you know, it's a long season. Like the NBA and the NHL, it's are long, long seasons. And they still have a window here with the hockey team, obviously because of Ovi, but – you know the NBA team; they, they've got to get it right, and you know, and they, they've, this is this is the right first step, but it's it's not going to happen overnight. And I don't think it's going to be like, oh, next season they're fixed or anything like that. We're talking Wizards with Scott Jackson. Uh, he was the studio host for the Washington Wizards Radio Network from 2000 to 2006. Knows the team really well. Uh, in terms of the path forward for the Wizards, what do you think that path should be? Uh, Michael Winger at his and Will Dawkins introductory press conference last Thursday afternoon said that a rebuild is a possibility. Uh, should the Wizards, in fact, blow the whole thing up? Uh, well, I'll say you're just talking about negativity. If they were to, let's say this offseason, um, you know, the two guys opt out, you know, Kuzma and Porzingis, and they were to resign them to whatever they want and, and say, all right, here we go. You know, we're going to make a few tweaks. We'll trade Monte Morris or somebody and, you know, Gafford, you know, whatever. Uh, Gafford, you know, and, and that's what you do and bring in some bench player. I don't think that's going to go over well. I really don't. And, it, and it's also fool's gold because, again, Porzingis had his healthiest season of his life and he still didn't make the playoffs. Uh, and you were, you were short of it. Um, you know, there's there's reason to believe that, um, you know, that, that Kuzma, you know, hey, look, you got the best you're probably going to get out of him, you know, at this point. So you should have sold high before the deadline, I think. And they didn't. And that, that hurt them. I think that was silly. And the fact that they kind of had the position, again, who knows if this is really their position, but at least openly, publicly, hey, we're not trading him, uh, which, you know, is never, I, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to comment on it, right? Like, you take calls about anybody uh, and listen to it unless you're, you know, the NBA champs or, or a team that's, you know, on the top of the conference or something. But so I thought that was weird. But, yeah, I mean, they've got to change something out. I don't know if they can do all all that this offseason. You know, it might need to be able to play here for a few more uh, at least a few more months to build the stock up. Maybe something happens towards the deadline where one of these teams that thinks they've rebuilt well hasn't, uh, and you can you know get Brad to drop the no trade, at least work with you on something. I, I don't know, but it, it, they have again. I don't think you bring in this kind of structure to just say, "All right, we're rolling it back out again." You could you could have done that with Tommy uh, as well. How feasible are signing trades with Kyle Kuzma and Chris Dapps Porzingis? Yeah, it's a tough thing because, again, they're not going to pick some team that is more desirable to you. They're going to pick what's desirable to them. So you're kind of in a position of weakness. Like there was a time in the NBA, and it's hard to say because it's new CBA. It's not, you know, completely understood. But there was a time and place in the NBA where cap space was so important that teams like to do these sign and trades with other teams because then that made it easier for the contract. But I don't know if you see that as much anymore. I'm, I'm fascinated to see it. So I've asked a few people about this, and it's a little – 
you know, a little bit of a gray area right now, what they think they could get for him. I wouldn't imagine it's a big pull, right? Like, I think, again, you would have gotten more out of Kuzma had you moved him when you had the contract left here at the low price, at, you know, prior to the deadline this season for a team making a push, you know, same with Porzingis at that point. But now, you know, with both of them most likely opting out, or at least bare minimum Kuzma opting out, he's not playing for $13 million or whatever it would be next season. It's going to be, you're not going to get, you know, what you would get in the past. Maybe at this point, it's just better to clear the decks. And you're probably going to, you know, in some of these deals, you're probably going to take back some bad contracts, right? Some undesirable stuff at some point, I would think, as well. Especially if you're talking about the, if you move some, like Beal. You're, you're not taking back. Again, it's not going to be like, oh, one great all-star, you know, for another kind of thing. You're, you're probably taking back some junk. You're not getting a bunch of young players either. You just hit on this, but Kyle Kuzma definitely is opting out given that his player option for next season is for $13 million. But with Chris Stamps Porzingis' player option for next season being for $36 million, could you see Porzingis not opting out? Yeah, I think there is a chance he could stay um, and opt in. But at the same time, if I'm him and his agent, go, look, you're just as healthy as you can be, right? What if you come back and you kind of follow the pattern we had the previous years, right, in Dallas where you're injured? uh, That obviously hurts your stock, hurts your value. But if you're looking at it from a dollars just next year, maybe. Um, but, you know, this is the thing about the NBA, and they say that they can't do this. But, of course, they do. All these guys talk to each other, have teams, they represent other people. They kind of got a feel for the market before this whole thing takes place. But I, I do think the Kuzma, or excuse me, the Porzingis part of it, you know, you can, you can make an argument one way or the other uh, how it goes. And, look, he, you know, his skill set's great. He's, when he's going, he's going, right? I mean, he's one of those freaks, kind of like Jokic, you know, the Joker. You know, he can do the stuff that... He does, um, obviously not as strong, not as sturdy, uh, but he, he's a great passer. He's a good shooter. He has a lot of things you like about him, but the, the availability has been a huge problem for him. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so the NBA draft next week, uh, a chance for the Wizards' new front office to make an immediate impact. Uh, so much has gone wrong with our Wizards for years now, but maybe nothing has gotten worse than the team's drafting. Uh, It was bad with Ernie Grunfeld running Wizards basketball operations. It certainly appears to have been bad with Tommy Shepard running Wizards basketball operations. Not that every pick has ended up being a really bad player, but most of the hits have been modest hits at best. Uh, The misses have been spectacular misses. And even with a modest hit like Rui Hachimura, Tommy this past January 23rd trading Rui to the Los Angeles Lakers for pennies on the dollar was a killer. Why have the Wizards been so bad at the NBA draft for so long? Well, and then the other part of it is, are they are they developing? Is the development part of the building correct? Now, you noticed Wes Unsell Jr. fired the developmental coach, right? Like they fired him before, you know, the, they did this whole restructure. Uh, after Tommy was fired, they also fired, you know, the dean of analytic, analytics, Dean Oliver, but they have other analytics people in the building apparently, but he was more of a Scott Brooks guy. So, you know, maybe that's what that was more about, but whatever it was, they, they made some changes there. I, look, because really showed you in the right environment what he can be, but also, look, he, like he'd have a good five, 10 minute run in those playoffs and then he would disappear or, you know, he would be a liability at times. So I, I don't know if it was, you know, as glaring. I think we just kind of get caught up in the woe is wizard sometimes with these guys. <laughs> but it, it, but the fact you're right that you only got second round picks for him seemed to be silly, especially since your team in the past has done nothing in the second round. I mean, that's a other problem here, right? Like other teams, like if you look at the Miami Heat, for example, and I know that's an extreme example, but it's true. You know, they, they have players that are undrafted. They have guys that are in second round, guys that really look like they should be role players. They put on the floor with one you know, to two bonafide all-stars and Bam and obviously Butler as the alpha out there, and they can just work well together. Uh, and that, that, again, that to me is culture, you know, environment, whatever you call it, right? That's that's what the biggest miss, I think, miss has been for the Wizards as much as even the drafting. Some of the guys, look, Otto Porter played well in the league. I mean, you could argue they blew it because they should have paid him the year before. And when he came up on the max, they should have said see ya and kept Bogdanovich. At that time, I think would have made more sense for the way that team was built. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, the, you know, like some of these guys that completely missed. I'm, I'm forgetting some of their names. Uh, the Troy, what's his name, guy? <laughs> you know, Troy Brown, then, yeah, yeah, Troy Brown, and then uh, you know some of these other later picks. I mean, Ubre was pretty good in times. I think the other problem, and I think there's some of this with Rui. You know, they get caught up in the off the court stuff, and I, I don't know why some other organizations are better at handling it than others. I mean, there's been a lot of those stories really dating back 
So when I was doing the post game in the in the uh, 2000s, early 2000s, when you get guys in here, they had all the right intentions and the right pedigree, and then the the city just sucks them in, you know, <laughs> and the lifestyle uh, becomes a problem. And I, you know, I don't know how you fix you fix that. And the Johnny Davis thing this year would have probably been the biggest miss of them all had he not played fairly well those last few weeks. But that's also like one of those, hey, it's the end of the season. You know, it's like rec ball out there. And, you know, somebody, somebody's got to score on a bad team, right? Somebody's <laughs> got to put up shots. What we've seen in so many Aprils for non-playoff bullets slash Wizards teams, guys doing well in those Aprils so often has meant nothing moving forward. Never carries over. Yeah, there's no carryover for bad teams from one year to the next. Very rarely, at least. And in really, in reality, none of these guys look like cornerstone players right now. No, I mean Kispert's a nice role player. If Kispert was on the Nuggets, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I like that guy. You know, or even with the Heat, you know, coming off the bench or whatever. Uh, you know, same thing with uh, you know Denny. I think has some skills. I think I still feel like Denny's got an upside to him, but we'll see. Uh, again, going back to the development part of it, but look. I I've known some of the guys over there in the past and some of the evaluations they've had, and some of it's been really good. It's been spot on, the people they've liked and what they've liked. But, you know, it's just they, they've made either bad decisions or, or guys have gone, you know, just kind of lost their way when they've gotten here. And, again, that's that's still part of your organization, and it's tough because you pay players lottery money and say you better get your butt back to work, you know, and you really got to find the guys with the right DNA. I, I'll be honest with you, when they picked Johnny Davis, my biggest gripe was, ah, oh, it's such a safe, boring pick. <laughs> He'll be fine. He'll be. You won't have to worry about Johnny Davis. He'll be fine. He'll be in shape. He'll be this or that. And he was none of that. I mean, he was a yeah. disaster. And I understand he had like a back issue in the summer league, and they probably should have just sat him. And he had some other things going on. I think, you know, his girlfriend had a baby, and there's all this stuff happening in his life. But clearly, I mean, year one was a very tough adjustment for him. And hopefully, you know, he's in the gym right now uh, working out. You mentioned Wes Unsell Jr. As you know, it's not often that we get major change in a front office and the head coach stays. And yet, Wes Jr. is being brought back for a third season as Wizards head coach. What do you make of that? Does he deserve a third season as Wizards head coach? Well, here would be the thing. If they had not put out after Shepard was fired that Wes was safe, I think everybody would be, okay, let's hear what... Michael Winger thinks about him. And Michael Winger said what he thinks about him. Hey, I interviewed him in L.A. We liked him a lot. I don't know if people know this. I like this about Wes. I, we have a kind of similar philosophy, blah, blah, blah. And everybody's like, cool. But the fact that it was put out there ahead of time makes you feel like, all right, well, what the heck is Michael Winger going to say? Because he's been painted in the corner where he was probably told in the interview process at some point, hey, you know, you're in charge of everything. However, we would like you to keep our coach, you know, give him at least a shot at year three here. Um, I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world because, like, right now, if you look at the landscape, right, so Budenholzer or Doc Rivers, I mean, if you're really going to turn it over, like if you're one of those guys, would you want to be here? I, I don't I don't think you would. Now, the interesting part is if they ever do turn it over correctly, and Doc Rivers is hanging out. I mean, obviously, Winger was there with him in L.A. and it fired him. But, you know, there's always going to be the Sam Cassell rumors, which have been, you know, the Sam Cassell for president's been going on forever <laughs> around here. And he never gets a sniff of the jobs for some whatever reason. So we'll, we'll see. But, you know, the thing about West Jr. is I think what was frustrating for a lot of us is, again, defensive guy, you know, but yet the team seems to have a lot of lapses defensively, um, the rotational issues, the inconsistencies. And even beyond all that, and I can argue a lot of things for and against West Jr., but what, what kind of frustrates me and, and a lot of fans uh, is, again, the idea that Bradley Beal needs the ball late in games, you know, like out top, isolation. This is where he's at his worst. I mean, this is not his game. He's not a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, I'm going to get – he turns it over more often than he makes the winning shot. Uh, I just like, how do you sit there and watch that unless it's, again, about pecking order, it's about – advertisement it's about he's our trick we gotta let him be the hero here you know what i mean like there's just too much of that and it, it was weird always weird to me that spencer dinwiddie was fine until brad was back and you know these kind of things and again I, i'm brad beal from day one i've always liked him i think he's worked hard he's earned everything he's gotten but you know again i just think at some point they've got to you know you still got to coach him you, you know you still gotta you still gotta be hard on him and and put him in the right spots. I just don't know if they've necessarily always done that. And it, it kind of frustrates me because we saw it previously before. It's like, no, 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 that's not him. You know, let him run off some stuff and then get him the ball. Uh, you know, he doesn't have to bring it up. I mean, that's, you know, that's why it's been tough, I think, on some of these point cards here. Bradley Beal entering year two of a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract to which he was re-signed last July and in which he has 
a no-trade clause. <laughs> Just amazing. My good friend Scott Jackson, always great talking, Wizard Scott. Thanks a lot. All the best. All right, Al. Thank you, buddy. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 594. We'll include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also on Wednesday show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Tuesday night at 810. Have game one of a three-game series at the Houston Astros. The O's on Tuesday night at 705. Have game one of a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. For the fans.